title of the sermon is called When Something Happened, Then Something Happened Facing the No Answers in Life. I started preaching this series a year ago, Mother's Day, not this Mother's Day, going back. This was the last one of the messages. I'm going to recap bits and pieces of it in a minute. And I wanted to finish it, so I'm going to finish it this morning. Muhammad Ali was back in 1964. I shared this a long time ago, but I used to follow boxing a lot before I met Christ. I used to watch all the fights, read all the books about boxing. And Muhammad Ali was fighting Sonny Liston called The Bear. He was actually very, very afraid. That's another sermon. He was so afraid, he was actually shaking. They were afraid that Muhammad Ali might actually just maybe have a heart attack just out of fear. He was so afraid, of the, but, he, but he never showed it. He never, you, you never know it. He mocked the bear. He mocked Sonny Liston. He did all kinds of things, played with his head. But when he had the fight, this is, and they honestly thought Muhammad Ali might actually get killed. They thought he might actually die in this fight. So here he is fighting Sonny Liston, feared by everybody but me. <laughs> and I'm just kidding. But anyway, so he, he fights him, and this is what he said about Sonny Liston. This is Muhammad Ali. Liston was the strongest man I ever fought. Every time I hit him, it hurt me worse than it did him. I gave him everything I had. When the sixth round ended, I was completely spent. I couldn't even raise my arms. I couldn't even stand up to go back into the ring. I said, I'm going home. I told my trainer. And he says to Angelo Dunley, I'm not going back there. I gave it my best. In life, let me tell you, in life, you're going to feel exactly like that. There are moments in life and throughout our Christian life, throughout life period, that life will present to you stuff that you don't have, you don't have answers for. And you're going to give it your best. You're going to give it all you possibly can. It's going to give. You're going to give. You're going to fight. You're going to punch. You're going to go. And there's going to come a point in time that you say, you know, I have nothing else to give. I'm not going back in there. That's how you feel sometimes. I'm not, you know what, I give up. I'm not going back in there. I give it my best shot. Nothing changed. And that's what happens in life. That's where I got this sermon from because it's called Then Something Happens because the story, most of you know it, about the woman who a prophet by the name of Elisha goes by her house all the time. She sees the prophet. She says, you know, it tells her husband, let's build a room for him. So when he comes, passes by in Marino Valley, he has a place to stay. And so she builds a room for him on top, of, on top of their house, and Elisha would come by and stay at her house. I preached like five sermons from that. And then <clears throat> Elisha says to his servant, which his name was Gehazi, I said, you know what? This lady's been very nice to us, very good to us. So ask her what we can do for her. And she basically says, I'm fine. I preached a sermon on the power of contentment. And he said, no, what else? And so finally... Gehazi says, you know what? She don't have a son. It was a desire of every woman, every family to have a child, especially a boy, because a boy would inherit everything. She has no son. That would be something she always wished for her entire life. But it was a secret. I don't know what you wish for your entire life, but God knows. And so he says, she don't have a son. So they go to the woman. She's simply called the Shudamite woman. They go to the son, they go to the mom and say, well, not a mother, actually, just a Shunammite woman says, listen, Elisha says, tell her next year about this time she's going to have a child. And she says, 
Don't get my hopes up. Don't get my dreams up like this. Just don't be, don't be, in one version says, don't lie to me. I preach it. A sermon called Tell It Like It Is. And she says, don't get my hopes up like that. And I said, no, no, a year from right now, it's nine months from now, not a year. It's, that's overdue. <laughs> nine months from now, you have a child. And the Bible says nine months later, she has a child. The child's born. You know, only God knows the deep things we wish for and dream for that are in our hearts. And I know this to be true. There's things in all of our lives that we, we, tell, we don't tell anyone. There's good things and there's bad things we tell no one. So a year, nine months later, child comes. Child's about five years old. He's out with a father. The Bible says he's out in the field, and it's hot. They believe he had a stroke, five years old or something, six years old. He has a stroke. The father says, take him to his mother. And so we're going to read the story what happens. They bring the child back, and the child's going to die. So let's pick up. I'm read bits and pieces because it's too lengthy, but follow with me. It's simply called, Then Something Happens, Dealing with Life's Snows. <clears throat> Let's go to the text. 2 Kings chapter 4. Then she saddled the donkey and told her servant, drive onward, not slow the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out to the man of God at Mount Carmel. So what's happening? Child died. She's going back to Elisha. Verse 27. When she reached the man of God at the mountain, she clung to his feet. Gehazi came to push her away. But the man of God said to her, leave her alone. Her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Skipping down to verse 32, when Elisha reached her house, because she wants Elisha to go back to her house where the child is at. Verse 32, when Elisha reached the house, the boy was there lying dead on the bed. So he went in, closed the door behind the two of them, and prayed to the Lord. Then Elisha got on the bed and lay on the boy, mouth to mouth, eye to eye, hand to hand, and he stretched himself upon the boy, and the boy became warm. Then Elisha turned back and forth across the room. Then he got up on the bed and stretched himself over the boy again, and the boy sneezed seven times, and he opened his eyes. Verse 36, Elisha summoned Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her, and she came. Then Elisha said, pick up your son. Verse 37, very important. And she came and fell at his feet, bowing herself to the ground in respect and gratitude. And then she picked up her son and left. <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> when I preach a sermon out of the same text on disappointment, very few people can deal with disappointment, I could say maybe the right way. When disappointment comes or pain or especially like this is very difficult, when difficult moments come to us, especially disappointment, grief, and this kind of pain, we don't always navigate through it the right way. And let me say this. We have to be very careful when you and I are in a place in our life where we have a great need in our life. Whatever, I don't care what the need is. You have a great need in your life. You have something pressing, something you need to see take place. It could be a financial need. It could be a relational need. It could be all kinds of things. You have a need. You could be broke. You need money. Uh, you need whatever the need is, it pushes you. And when you are a needy person, you got to be very careful because when you are very needy, you can make some very bad decisions. Jesus, the Bible says in the book of Matthew, Jesus is in the wilderness and he's going to be tempted by the devil. Listen to this. The Bible says, Matthew 4, the devil comes to Jesus and says, all these things I'll give you, he showed him the world. All these things I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to serve him. This was an attack on his knowledge of who he was and who God was. And what Satan was after, we know the story. Most of you know it. You've been saved long enough. Jesus is in what's called temptation, Matthew 4. He's in, he's in the desert. He's in the wilderness. He has no food. He's hungry, the Bible says. His needs are pressing on him. He, he don't have an answer for his problem right then and there. He can't just do something. He could, but he chose not to. And the devil comes to him at, at the moment in his life. He's probably one of the most needful moments in his life. The devil knows when to attack us. He didn't come and attack Jesus when Jesus was healing everyone. He came to attack Jesus when he's in the wilderness by himself, hungry, tired, waiting for God to answer his need. God has not answered it. The devil comes and tempts him because of what he wants him to do. He wants Jesus, just like you and me, he wants Jesus to break his relationship with God. And that, you know, at the bottom line, the enemy wants you and I to break our relationship with God. End of story. Because if this gets broken, we lost, right? The enemy knows it, and so he knows when to assault. He knows when to make his move. So here this woman, go back to the woman, she's in an agony. She's in an experience she didn't ask for. She didn't ask for a child. She didn't ask for a child to be born. She didn't ask for a child. Child is born, great. Child dies, all that happens, she never asked for any of this, but it comes to her. And it's no one's fault. She goes back to Elisha, but it's no one's fault. It's not the church's fault. It's not Elisha's fault. Life happens to all of us, right? But this is where she's at. She's in this place. And there are some things I think worth noting I'm going to talk about real quick here. You can call it keys to living or keys to life, but I call it successful living, but Notice what it says in verse 10. It won't be up there. Let me read it to you. Verse 10. Prior to all of this, when she builds the room for Elisha, there's something that's important that's often missed. She says in verse 10, she tells her husband, let us build or make a small room upstairs and put a bed there, a table, a chair, and a lamp for him. When Elisha comes by, he can stay there. Point number one. I'm only going to talk about point one, two, and four. I'm going to leave out point three today. Point one, I've mentioned it before, but not in this fashion. She lived a life of submission. Notice she, want, she wants agreement with her husband. She doesn't just venture out. She's not usurping the authority of her husband. And people sometimes want God to move, but they want God to move their way. They have all kinds of things going on in their life. They want God to move in their life, but they don't want to be under any kind of submission to God. Elisha, it's not... It simply means, or her husband, simply means headship. But it can be a father, it can be a husband, yes, but also the idea of headship over our life. All of us need to learn to live a life of submission to God and to others. She, she doesn't say to her husband, you know, this is what I'm going to do. No, no, she said, I, I, I want us. Let us build a room for him. She wants agreement with her husband. That's what she wants. She, she's living a life of submission. She's under authority. And if you want God to move in your life, you have to be alive. You live a life literally under authority. And so here's a couple questions for people today. They want God to answer prayer, but they don't even go to church. They're not committed to anyone. And so the question would be, what church you go to? Who are you committed to? Who's your pastor? Are you submitted to anyone other than yourself? And some people, they say, well, I don't really go to church. I don't have a pastor. And then they wonder why it seems like life is so hard to be lived. Because God expects you to live a life in submission. Submission to God, submission to other people. This woman, 
She does this. She's verse 30. The woman said to Elisha, I swear by my loyalty to the living God. She has a very good relationship with God because she uses terms people never use. She said, I swear by the loyalty to a living God. She doesn't just say, call him God. She understands he's a living God. So it tells us that she has some kind of relationship with God that's pretty unique. She's a very strong woman. She's a very good woman. That's why I preach all these messages about her, the qualities in her life. She, she says, makes an oath. She says, by the living God, that I'm not going to leave you, Elisha. So they started back together. This is when she went to get Elisha. She had such a great heart. She's called the woman of Shunem. The word Shunem means resting places. And I thought that maybe while she was so kind of together, because as you read through the story, she's, she's very strong. She's very confident. She's not, she does, she's not emotionally breaking down. She's, there's something about her, man. She's, she's got it. She has authority. She has, she's got command of what's going on in her life. And I think the woman of Shunem means resting places. I think she found rest in God. She has something in her spirit that, that's there. It's obvious. And so here she is. So this is what got me going is this part right here. She, she does this. She gets Elisha. Elisha comes back to her house. Her child dies. Her husband says, take the child to the mother. And this is what it says. Listen to this. His mother held her into her lap until around noontime. Then he died. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. And she shut the door behind him and left. This is unusual. Because... When a child dies, you normally just bury the child. You don't put him in a room. The room she puts the child in, I spoke about it. The room she puts the child in is the room she built for Elisha. And I said, the places you build today are places tomorrow the promise is going to lie on. And so she builds this room for Elisha. And what does she do? She takes the child that Elisha gave her or God gave her, takes the child back to the very room that she built. God works in spaces we build for him. There was a place that the child could be taken back to. Now, it's unusual on many different things. I'll get to in a moment. But what stands out as the obvious one is what's going on in this woman that the child is dead, but somehow in this mom or this mother's mind or heart says, I know he's dead, but it's not over yet. Who said it's not over? I mean, you can't get any worse than this girl. What's wrong? You're delusional. Your child is dead. Bury him. Just bury the child and move on to life. But there's something inside of her that says, I don't know. No, I'm not going to bury him right now. I know it's odd and it's weird. It's different. You know, you think I'm crazy. But I'm going to take him up and put him in this room. I'm going to put him on this bed here. And I don't know if she knows, and I don't believe she knows fully what God can do. But she knows one thing. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. I know naturally you say, what are you talking about? The child is dead. It is over. Yes and no. Can I say that? Every one of us, listen, every, this applies to all of us. It looks like in our life, there are things, it look, it's dead, it's over. Come to grips with it, move on. The truth is, it's not over. And there's something about this woman's faith in God. She said, it's not over. I'm going to go get Elisha. I'm going to bring him here. I don't know how it's all going to work out, but it's not over. And the Bible talks about this. I go, then something happens. Yeah. To me, it's pretty 
Amazing. Very unusual. And really, it's a picture of the mother. And she's pushing like a... She's pushing. She's fighting for her child. You could be fighting for all kinds. You can be fighting for your marriage. You can be fighting for your sanity. You can be fighting... The bottom line, I'm saying, she's fighting. She's, you know what, I'm not giving in to this. I'm going to fight. And that's what she does. Then the Bible says, verse 22, she sent a message to her husband. Again, it's agreement with her husband in verse 22. She says, I'm going to go to the man of God. She, says, she tells her husband what's going on. She wants agreement with her husband. He said, why is this important? Because in extreme difficulty, it's so easy to break fellowship with God, the church, and other people. And that's how people's lives get messed up. When things, when your life falls apart, and everyone's life has moments, seems like it's falling apart, you don't abandon relationships because it's those relationships that would give you the ability to survive it all. You say, Pastor, my life's falling apart. It's just boom, 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 boom. What do I do? Well, the worst thing you do is stay home and not come to church. And anyone, listen to me, anyone can always, you can always find a legitimate reason to stay home. That's why I got to stay home. Why? I got to breathe. We all breathe. I gotta, you know, people come, I, I got to stay home. I, you can always, it's amazing, I got to stay home. But you don't have to stay home from the mall. You don't have to stay home from the beach. You don't have to stay home from the picnics. Oh, but stay home from church. You go shopping everywhere, but you can't come to church. Ain't no one shouting me down. It's Okay. You can always find a reason. But no, she says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to break this relationship. Uh, and that is the key to survival. Yeah, it, it, it really is. It's the key to survival. She doesn't break the relationships. So here it is. The child dies again with your own life. There are maybe secrets, there's dreams, there's desires that you've never told anyone about. And maybe you're just like this woman. It has really died. It looks like it's dead. It's over. And that's how it seems. But there's a, this woman has something because in this moment, she, she shows some trust in God in her darkest hour. The first thing she does, I like about that, the very first thing that comes to her mind is not to put a, not post something on Facebook. First thing that comes to her mind is she runs right to the man of God. She runs right to church in her darkest moment. Where in the world do you run when your life falls apart? Where do you run in the darkest moments of your life? It will tell you everything about your life. People run to God as the last resort. They cry out to God in prayer as the last resort. Not the first resort, the last resort. First thing she does. The truth is, it's truth. When your life's falling apart, only God can raise the dead. Only God can bring back promises in our life that, that look like and are dead. And that's what she does here. You notice the woman doesn't go with her husband. She leaves her husband in one place, and she takes off. Because I think there are many times in life that you're going to have to fight, and you have to fight all alone. There are things in life that are going to hit you that 
I know you love your husband, you love your wife, or you might be a single parent, but there's things that are going to be ushered into your life. Young man, the only way you can get through this is not relying on your dad or your mother or your grandparent, but you're going to have to fight this alone yourself. Yes. Wife, you're going to have to fight this. It's, it's, it's a fight. You have to fight. Something you must do. And if you read the Bible, this is kind of interesting. In the Bible, I think there's 10 times the dead are raised back to life. Nine out of the 10 times, it was a woman that had the child raised back to life. It was a woman involved in the resurrection. Only at one time, a guy. What does that mean? I don't know. Figure it out. Anyway. No, I just, it just tells you something about there's something about a woman. This mother here, there's something about this woman ain't giving up. This mother ain't giving up. There's something about, you know what, I'm pushing this thing further. And women seem to do that in a good way. So she journeys back to Mount Carmel. She decides to go back to Elisha. And the Bible says Elisha is where? He's at, he's at Mount Carmel. It's a journey to Mount Carmel. Journey, journey is a life. Our life is a journey. How many know that? Life is a journey. It literally is a journey. And that's what she's going to do. She's going to go to Mount Carmel to find Elisha. So she goes to Elisha. <clears throat> she's not sure how it's all going to work out at all. She's not even sure what's going to happen because when she sees Elisha, all she does is bring Elisha into the room. She doesn't tell Elisha what to do and how to do it. All she knows, I think what we all need to know is, you know what? I may not know what to do, but I know who to go to. You know what? I don't know how you can work it out, God, but there it is. That's what she's doing. You know what? Come in. Here. Come in. That's, that's where it's right there. My child, my heart, my brain. It's right. I don't know what you can do. I don't know. But there he is. I don't know what she's thinking. Point two quickly. Maybe this woman can believe that Elisha conformed the impossible. I say maybe. We're not sure. A.W. Tozer said like this, God is looking for people through whom, he, through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things that we can do by ourselves. I like what Spurgeon said, without the Spirit of God in us, we can do nothing. We are as ships without the wind, branches without sap, coals without fire. We are all useless without God. <laughs> so she's not going to bury her child. And I preached a sermon on that. All we know for sure is she's not preparing to bury her child. We, we know that. She's not, she's not doing that at all. Unlike you and I, when things look like it's completely gone, there's no hope in it. We just make, we make the arrangements for the funeral. He said, what do you mean, Pastor? There's so many things more God would do in our life, but we've already buried it. We've already given up on it. God hasn't. She's preparing to some degree. She's preparing for a miracle while we're preparing for a funeral. All right, just write it off. Just, you know what? That's how it's going to be, bro. Just accept it. Move with it. No, no, no. no hold on. Wait, hold on. I, I don't know how it's going to work out, but I, I'm not preparing for a, a funeral. I'm preparing for a miracle. And I don't know how the miracle is going to happen, but no, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't have an answer, but it doesn't mean I'm going to give up. Are you with me? The Bible says we walk by faith, not by sight. Amplified says it like this. We walk by faith, not by sight, living our lives in the manner consistent with confident belief in God's promises. Who in the world would be calling me right now? A guy who don't go to church. (laughs) 
He threw me off. Now, look at this quickly. And this looks pretty odd. Because if you went there, you see the baby, you see the baby on, in the bed there, but this would look very odd. And so what are you saying, Pastor? Because let me tell you something, church. Some people won't ever understand why you keep holding on and keep believing for the best. It, it, it will look odd. Faith at times will look foolish. What in the world, mom, what woman, what are you doing? Just give up now. Your side's backslid. It's lost. It's over. It's gone. Whatever it might be. Just give up now. Go on. It's reality. Move on. No, no. There's something about it. It may look foolish to you, but, you know, faith sometimes looks foolish. She's not going to do that. The Bible says she goes to Mount Carmel. Now, this is interesting because this is a lesson for us that's so important. Life has already been, her life has fallen apart. It really has. If you read through it, I just read briefly through it. Her, her life has gotten difficult, difficult, difficult. It's, it's over now. The child's dead, so that's done. She goes to get the man of God. Now, you would think life now would start getting a little easier. Right? Have you ever said this to yourself? It can't get any worse. We've all said that, right? And it got worse. Right? And then it got worse. You said, now nah, it can't get any worse than this. And it got worse than the worse. Yeah, it happens. And notice what happens in this. Because let me go, this brings me to the next point here in a minute. The Shunammite woman heard. She goes back to Elisha. She's not sure what's going to happen. She believes something might, might be able to happen. Maybe a miracle could happen or the impossible can happen. I don't know. But she does go to him. She lays the child on the man of God. The Bible says she goes. And she, while she's there, the Bible says Gehazi comes out. And she asks Gehazi. Gehazi asks her, is everything all right? And she says over and over again, I preached a sermon on it called It Is Well. She said, everything's fine. Everything's all right. She won't tell Gehazi really what's going on. But the Bible says she takes the journey to Mount Carmel. Just stop here for a moment. No one can take this journey for you. Mount Carmel, the word Carmel, Mount Carmel, it's a fruitful place. Nobody can usher God's fruitfulness into your life, blessing in your life. That's a, that's a journey you're going to have to take yourself. All alone, you're going to take the journey. I can't take it for you. You want to see fruitfulness in your life. You want to see blessing in your life. You want to see God help you. You know what? I'll pray for you. I'll believe with you. But you got to take the journey yourself. I can't march. I can't do it for you. It's your journey. So here she comes. I got a few more minutes. Can I preach a few more minutes? I'm doing 20 more. It's holiday weekend, buddy. And the Bible says this, which I preached the sermon. She comes to Elisha, and the Bible says that she sees it. Remember, I told you she grabs his feet, and I said, No one can take hold of the promises of God for you. You've got to do it yourself. And that's what she does. She, she grabs Elisha's feet. And the Bible says, <clears throat> Now this is going to get deep. Are you ready? Yes, Are you awake? <laughs> okay. Gehazi comes out to stop her. 
The Bible says, and Gehazi came over to push her away. It means to thrust. It means to drive out. It means to expel. It means to throw down. There it is right there. Here's the intense scene I'm talking about. Because that right there is the devil's desire. The devil's desire is to make sure. I know you're gonna, you want to press in, but I'm not about to let you press in easily. I'm going to push you away. I'm going to try to throw you down. I'm going to try to break you in the process. Because here's what we think. You know what? Now, you know, Elisha, I need you to help me. Now, you know, it's going to get a little easier now. I already went through all the heartache. Now, you know, on top of everything else, now I got to fight. Now you got to fight for this too. It's bad enough, man. What are you talking about, son? I don't need, I don't need no, you know, Gehazi. I don't need no drama in the church, she could have said. Gehazi was from the church, by the way. He was Elisha's disciple. And Gehazi grabbed, tries to grab her and, and tries to push her away, tries to throw her down. And that's what the enemy does. As soon as you make, you see, you know what, I'm moving in. I'm going to press in. I'm going to fight for my marriage. I'm going to fight for my kids. I'm going to fight for my health. I'm going to fight for this. You might fight. It's going to be a fight. Get ready. Absolutely. And no one's going to do it for you. You, you. The moment you say, this is what I'm going to press into, the enemy says, you may, but it's going to be a fight. going to be a fight and what we do sometimes we feel sorry for ourselves but now I got to fight yeah if you want more you don't lose your marriage and give up then you lose your kids quit praying for them quit believing in them yeah you, you, you can go that way yeah it's been hard and it's probably get harder or you can say you know what I'm going to fight but here's what's really interesting not only does Gehazi do this, this battle takes place. And we know for the mom, it's a battle for her son. Everyone, every one of us will pay a price to contend. You're not going to fight. You're not going to contend for God's best in your life and promises and things to happen in your home, your family, your kids, or your grandkids without a fight, man. But Gehazi... What is Gehazi? Gehazi is what stands in the way of getting to Elisha or having Elisha come with him. Gehazi is an obstacle. The word Gehazi, listen to this. Here's where it gets deep. It means my vision. What always stands in the way of God's will being done in your life is your vision. It's what you want. What you want will stand in the way of God's will sometimes. How many can relate to that? My vision, my carnal life, my selfishness, my self-will, that will always stand in the way of God's best for your life. And just like it is in the story, there is, there is literally a fight going on. I would imagine, she, I don't know, but maybe she would have been crying. I could picture it. I could see her fighting with Gehazi. I literally fight. She's crying. Get out of here. He's not, get away. A fight's going on. If she had to fight, don't you think we're going to have to fight too? But you know what? Listen to me. This is worth fighting for. It's worth making a stand for God. It may get hard, but listen, at the end of the day, it's better to make a stand for God. God will honor you and God will bless you. My vision, what I want, would try to push away the promises of God, but try to throw away, you know, just give up. It's what I want. And that battle is always going to take place. Like, Gehazi, what you want, what God wants, bam, bam, bam. It happens all the time. 
Let me move on here. My last point. It's point four. What to do when you don't know what to do. You give it to God. Faith is a mixture of contentment and holy discontentment. You think about this woman, she's not going to give up at all. We know that. No matter what's going to happen happen here, she she, she refuses to give up. Let me just go to this right here. I like this. There is, in this woman's life, there's another sense which is not all that is well. She's not going to leave God alone until God moves. All is well, she says, with my soul, but not all is well in my world. Only Christians can have that. Let me say it again. A Christian, we would say all is well with my soul, but not all is well with my world. For most people, if, if, if their world is not well, they are not well. But for the Christian, it can be well within my soul, but my world ain't well. Oh, my soul, I'm fine, but my world, my world falling apart. And only a Christian can have this because we have Christ. So she grabs Elisha, brings Elisha to the room, and I'm going to end here because you can play the music, Maui. She brings Elisha to the room, and what does she do? Does she grab Elisha and say, Elisha, I want you to go in there and pray for him. I want you to raise him from the dead. She don't do none of that. She, she doesn't say that. All she does is what we should all do. You know what, God? I, I don't know what the answer is. I'm not going to tell you how to move, but there's my, there's my heartache. There's my pain. There's where it's, there's, it's falling apart. There it is. I give it, and Elisha didn't even let her go with him. Elisha, the Bible says he left her because later on she's called. So here she is, like, can I just go? Can I, Mama? You know what you have to do? It's all. It's what we all have to do. You sit there, and you have to wait. How long? God ain't gonna tell us. How 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 long am I gonna wait outside, Elisha? Come on, my boy, wait. How long I got to wait? What are you going to do? No answer. Because she's so strong. She's willing to do that. She's, you know, you know what, God? I've learned to trust you all these years. You know what's going on better than I know what's going on. And I, I, I don't know what to do. I don't have an answer. I can't figure it out. But it's yours, and I'm leaving it with you. And, and she waits outside. But before all this happened, there's one question Gehazi, Elisha asked her to ask, Gehazi asked her, is all well with you? So let me ask you the same question. Is all well with you? What in deep inside of you is not well? I don't know. But I tell you two things. You know and God knows. So she brings Elisha. Elisha prays. I love this because this mama fighting for her child that's died for you and I. It could be a child. It could be a backslidden. It could be a backslidden child, a grandchild. It could be anything. It could be a marriage. It could be a home. It could be. It symbolizes so many things. But it's dead, and you want something to happen, and that's where it's at. But she's fighting for it. I'm gonna fight. I'm not gonna give up. I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna fight. I'm gonna fight. And that's what she's doing. Elisha comes, spends time there, and then. Child is raised back to life. And I just go call the mother. 
And I love this because the Bible says the mother came. Different versions say it like this. The mother comes. She sees the child alive. Now, what would you do if you saw your child alive you thought was dead? You'd grab him. You'd grab him. Just try to kiss him all. You'd hug him. You'd weep him with tears. You'd be, oh, my God, I can't believe. The Bible says she, she goes, and the first thing she does is she worships God first and tells God, thank you. And then she grabbed her son. You know, some people only thank God. They act back, they don't, they think they love the blessing, but they forget to bless her. So, I, I, man, I got to thank you. Well, 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 what about me? What about God? Well, no, we don't do that. And we are so blessed. Okay, I know that this story is dramatic, and I know it's pretty, he's died and brought back to life. That is dramatic. I get that. It's powerful. It's unbelievable. Okay. But what did she really get? She got a child alive that was dead, but now he's alive. We know unsafe family, come back, we love that. But she got a child that's alive. And she said, I am so grateful my child's alive. Stay with me. This morning when you got up to come to church, did you look at any of your kids and say, God, I thank you that they're alive? Oh, he yelled out. Get ready. What's wrong with you? What are you doing now? Been too long. Get out. Sometimes we forget to be grateful just for life. Just for life. Just for life. You know, God, I, I am so grateful that I, some of you, you think about it, you got up this morning. Maybe you had, to move your car, you had to move your cars around to get the car you're going to drive to church. Someone's blessed. You got, to, you got your AC on. You went in the wardrobe, you went to May the night before this morning, went in, looked at all the clothes, and like a woman says, I have nothing to wear. You got two closets, girl. What are you talking about? So blessed. But honestly, we you stop and think, being grateful. You know, a seasoned saint sees things that someone who's new the Lord hasn't seen. The seasoned saint should be someone just thank God, my child's alive. The seasoned saint has gone through some things, and they should be able, they should be the ones that, they should be the ones, if no one else is going to be excited or thankful or grateful, the seasoned saint should be because they, they've gone through some things that know God has been good to them. Right? It's not about things given by God. It's life. 